You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. I'm going to explain that word in just a little bit. But uh, Psalm 68 is where we're going to be today. But before we jump in, uh, show of hands, who here likes parades? Who here likes parades? Okay, be, be proud about this. Who here likes parades? Okay, why? And I mean that with as much disdain as I possibly can. Why in the world do you like parades? I mean, seriously. What's that? Free candy! Yay, free candy! Free candy! A second of free candy! That's, uh, that's what's called an amen right there. That's what that is. Okay, so amen is like, that's right. Yeah, uh-huh. So, uh, speaking of which, if uh, just a little trivial information. If you're ever kind of feeling dry about reading the scriptures and you're in the New Testament, you can jump over in your U version to the Hawaiian Pigeon Translation. Fantastic, okay? Instead of amen, they say, that's right, because that's what it is, right? It's like, uh, I'm totally agreeing. It's like, that's right, that's right. All right, free candy. What else? Why in the world do you like parades? What? Dance. Bands, the bands, like the marching band. I have, um, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose. Were you in marching band? Okay, then that's why you like those. Um, yeah, because uh, if you've never been in a marching band, who here was in marching band in high school? What's the worst thing about marching band? Parades. Because yeah. <laughs> you got that super woolly, itchy suit, and you're out there, and it's 125 degrees, and then 190 in the suit, and you're like, eh, and that's just not good. Go ahead, Jada. If you're in Disney World, yes, okay, yeah, so see, that's all the Disney crew over here is like, yes, Disney, and everybody else is judging them. So um, anyways, but yeah, I mean, I did some research on the Disney parades, especially the Paint the Night Parade, which is, uh, have you been to the Paint the Night Parade, and is it pretty awesome? No. No? Well, race, race Canadian, so he doesn't, he doesn't have taste. Yeah, um, okay, so is it pretty great? Yeah, Sally thinks everything. That was a little uncommittal, so it's probably not that great. Um, If you have never seen the Paint the Light or Paint the Night uh, uh, floats, you can Google search them right now. You can feel free to. It's okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hate you. Hate on you for pulling out your phone. Um, Disney creates some beautiful things. They have 1.5 million LEDs. 1.5 million LEDs on floats. Uh, along with also like three-dimensional LED screens that don't count in there and some great presentations. They actually paint sculptures with the night. It's pretty fantastic. So um, that's probably the one thing. I've never seen it. It might be interesting. But anything else with parades? Why do you like parades? Go ahead, Stephen. I love the floats. You like floats? Yeah. I like root beer floats. No, I'm just kidding. I don't like root beer floats. But floats, some of floats are okay. Macy's Parade, right? The balloons. I only watch the Macy's Parade because I'm hoping to see the people carrying the balloons like fly away sometime. I'm just waiting for the chaos to happen. Right? Anything else about parades that you like? Go ahead, Will. What? Okay. <laughs> Mounted units was the very first thing he said. I'm like, we're not going to explain that. But uh, guys on horses, okay? Uh, there was another hand over here. Go ahead, Doug. Clowns driving little cars around, aka my nightmares. Yes, that's uh, that's horrible. What's wrong with people, Isaac? It's a good opportunity to show off being able to ride a unicycle. Isaac rides a unicycle and sometimes plays unicycle hockey, right? Or is it unicycle soccer? It's hockey. Yeah. That's some that's some talent. We need like a serving sign up just for that. Be like unicycle. And you can just come in and ride the unicycle. That's fine. You'd be the only one on the team. 
Um, I, I do not, I do not get parades. I don't understand parades. I don't, I don't love a parade. I don't sing the song. I love a parade because it's not my thing. Um, parades are hard for me because I'm an impatient guy. Incredibly impatient guy. What are you doing at a parade? You're waiting. That's all you're doing is you're waiting. It's actually arranged so that you're waiting for the next thing that you don't really, you're not super impressed by, so you're waiting for the next thing. And you keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And I don't like waiting for anything, let alone to watch several overweight men in tiny cars wearing fesses. I'm not a huge fan of simply waiting to uh, to see some things. I don't tend to do the City of Lights parade, which is coming up fairly soon, or Memorial Day parades, or really any parade at all. I try to avoid them. And if you think about them, if you think about them, right, you spend your entire life telling your children, don't run into the street. Then, when there's traffic planned, you tell them, run into the street, people. Go ahead, run into the street, okay? You also tell them, don't pick up that candy that's been sitting on the street until a parade happens. Then what, what do you do? You tell them, go ahead, scrounge as much, much candy as possible. Even make sure you get the stuff like everybody's like, candy, get that! Even the stuff that's like bounced off the little horse piles that have fallen in the middle of the street. Why do we do that? Everybody's like, parades, yay. Anyways... Parades seem like generally a bad idea in my head. I don't want to ruin you on parades, but uh, I have been to one parade. And here's, I've been to one parade that was incredibly impressive. One parade. A few years back, um, several years ago, we started a tradition. It became a bit of a tradition. In fact, this year was the first time we missed it in several. We decided on 4th of July to start going out to Interior, South Dakota. Let's hear it, Interior peeps. There's none of you here. Okay, great. Yeah, you are not even here, actually. I work by it. Yeah, you're like, I drive by it by an hour and a half. Um, yep, yeah, so Sarah Hartland, uh, she's, she invited us out to her family's ranch out in, uh, out in Interior uh, for the 4th of July celebration, which is a big deal. I mean, Sarah's, uh, Sarah's family probably has enough firepower in their house to blow up like square miles of a city. And they launch all of this off in one night. And it's, it's kind of impressive. Um, they have fights with Roman candles, and, uh, and that is less than impressive. Uh, but it does happen. Um, anyway, so we went out to their, the very first year, we went out to, dis- to try to experience everything. And what Interior does is they have a parade that, it, that launches off the 4th of July celebration. Then a little bit later, they have a rodeo that you're invited to. Then after that, they have a potluck, a town-wide potluck. The town supplies meat, you bring a dish to pass. And then after that, they have this incredible fireworks display that you can sit like underneath the fireworks. And it will like, um, the, the fireworks generally are lit off, they're lit off by the volunteer fire department on a flatbed trailer. And so what happens, you can imagine what happens, is every once in a while the fireworks will fall over and shoot towards the crowd, making it exceedingly awesome. And then one time, they had one fall down and start twisting around and it shot into the bushes at the mayor's house. And the bushes are like starting on fire and like then the following year, like somebody's house behind it almost started on fire. And then a couple years ago, I think Jamin was there for this one. Were you there for this one? When one of them tipped over and the fireworks shot into the trailer holding all the fireworks. <laughs> so awesome. I'll try to do my best impersonation. It was as the whole thing went up in flames, right? And in 15 minutes, the whole presentation was done and they got a standing ovation and everybody was like, yes, that was the greatest thing ever, right? (laughs) Anyways, back to the parade part, right? Okay, so the parade, I did not know what to expect, right? I'm going out to Interior South Dakota. I'm like, okay, what's this parade going to be? 
Okay. And, uh, and it was actually kind of an amazing little magical parade. So it started off with like, um, there were your typical things. There were like two or three, and we're going to throw quote fingers around this, floats, which was basically a trailer with some hay bales on it with people sitting on the hay bales waving. Okay. There were two. I mean, now interiors. How much? What's the population of interior, Jamin? Like sixty-five. Like sixty-five. Okay. So I mean, let's get the let's get the perspective going on here. Okay. So so there were these guys that were pulling a trailer. Then there were a couple of guys who were just proud of their tractors and they're just kind of trucking along, right? And then there's a guy, and then you know, so this was pretty great. There was even some guys riding horses and a few people throwing candy and then a fire truck, right? I mean, so like you can picture this. And then all of a sudden, there's like this guy who's. Driving his 1992 Chrysler LeBaron convertible with rust everywhere, and he's just waving at the crowd, just driving by. Right, and then there's another guy riding by on like his 10-speed, and he's waving at everybody. And I asked Sarah about this, and she's like, "Well, you don't have to fill out a form to get in the parade; you just get in the parade." <laughs> magical, so all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what's coming next, right? Like, all of a sudden I was ready to wait for the next thing, right? I was ready to wait for the next thing. And uh, and then, like, then this really breathtaking, awe-inspiring, and slightly terrifying, terrifying thing came around the corner. A swarm of ranchers on unicycles. I'm not even joking, okay? And I mean swarm, I'm talking, oh, maybe 15, 20 guys on unicycles, all heights from down here to the ones that are really, really high up. They're all in their Wranglers with their belt buckles and their cowboy hats and their flannels, and they're driving around, waving at everybody, and one guy's throwing like one or two pieces of candy out, and that's about it, because I think they ran out by that time. But this was actually a beautiful thing, right? Like, I did not know, I did not expect that, and and this was pretty great. And uh, it was pretty amazing, because all of a sudden, I was kind of enthralled with the, the magic that was in this parade. It actually felt like I was, had there been an eagle soaring above and somebody handed me a plate of bacon, like this would have been the most American experience I had ever been in in my entire life, <laughs> period. I mean, I laid there, I got bacon because, you know, the potluck, but this would have been like the best experience ever. And what I saw was I saw these people in interior South Dakota who were so proud of being from interior South Dakota. They were proud of being Americans. They were proud of being ranchers. They were proud of being... And now, if you go to anywhere else in this world, people in interior South Dakota don't fit, do they? They have their own little culture. And it's a beautiful little culture. And these people were very proud of being ranchers, being those who live out in the badlands, right? Like, think about the culture that you build into your, in, inside of you as you live from the badlands. Where do you come from? The badlands. <laughs> I ain't messing with you, right? Like, it's like saying, I come from Gary, Indiana. I mean, I ain't messing with you. It's the same thing. Come from the badlands of South Dakota. Okay, bro. Well, whatever. Don't talk. Don't touch me, right? Um, today, and there's a reason why I introduced this ridiculous subject this way, today uh, we're actually going to get a glimpse of a parade in the scriptures. We're going to see a parade in the scriptures in Psalm 68. Now, uh, what I'm hoping we're going to do is we're going to just like happen in interior South Dakota, we're going to look at this parade and we're going to be able to see something and get some perspective. And when you mix Psalms with the perspectives, you get people? Psalms. Psalms. Perspectives. 
Everybody hates that word. So <laughs> just make it up, right? Psalm perspectives. Um, okay, so um, uh, some perspectives on the Psalms, just to keep you in mind of what the Psalms actually are. I want to teach you a little bit. Psalms, this this book in the Bible, is poems or songs. They're ancient songs. Ancient songs. They are, um, at this point in time, we're reading stuff that's probably about 3,000 years old, right? So we have songs that are about 3,000 years old. And they are um, ancient Hebrew, and they're, they're a prayer language. They're their language of worship. Matt and the worship team did a beautiful job singing songs, and we have screens, and we get to know them, and these are, these are some of the ways we worship. This is the ways that these guys worship. These are the ways that these guys worship. This is how they did it. And so this was, the Psalms built a prayer language, built a worship language. It was also kind of the practical daily heart of worship for the people. Like, they would read Psalms, they would sing those things, they would watch the, they would uh, talk about the poems, they would talk about what it says about God. And they're also this kind of standard because David's the one writing these. These are the standard that sets up that not only is the king in power, but the king worships as well. They're about feelings. They're about emotions. You're supposed to be gathering an emotion off of these things and responding to the emotion. They're not necessarily the depths of theology, but they are emotional response to the beauty and the glory of God. That's what Psalms are. So now that we've got our Psalms perspective correct, uh, one more interesting part about the Psalms is they contain a word called Selah, which we've been working at. The word Selah is the word, you know, Selah or Selah, we've got that word, and that word is, um, actually, translators don't really understand what it is. Sometimes it's translated with the word Kalal, which is to praise, to, to adore. Sometimes it's uh, Salah, which is to, uh, translated like Salah, which is to stop and to measure and to pause and to weigh. Okay, and so the word Word Selah, I think, or Selah, well, I think this word, what we think it is, is it's a time to stop and pause and reflect on what was just said and kind of weigh and hang those things in the balance as you praise God for who He is. That's what I think these are, and we're going to put that to the test over the next several weeks as well. So, Psalm 68, here we go. We're going to read all of Psalm 68. I'm going to be in the NIV. If you didn't have a Bible, there are some that are provided for you in the rows. Please feel free to grab one and uh, or snuggle up next to somebody who's got one. That's fine too, but make sure you kind of nuzzle as you snuggle with them. Um, Okay, uh, Psalm 68. I'm just going to read the whole thing straight through, okay? May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him as smoke is blown away by the wind. May you blow them away as max, well, it was wax melts before the fire. Or max melts, I don't know, but it was wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Okay, that's kind of the prologue. It's introducing some things, and here it jumps into some text. Sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before Him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it. And from your bounty, O God, O you provided for the poor. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste in the camps. Men divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silvers. Silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Zalman. 
The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains of Bashan. Why gaze in envy, O rugged mountains, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord Himself will dwell? The chariots of God are ten thousand of ten thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into His sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the head of His enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on their sin, in their sin. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea that you may plunge your feet in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dog have their share. Your, your procession has come into view, O God. The procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. The front, in the front are singers. After them are musicians. With them are the maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. Then the great throng of Judah's princes. And there are the princes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beasts among the reeds, the herds of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled may it bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. To him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty voice, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Now, what I would like you to see is that, um, what I would like you to see, and I don't know if you see this, but continually the psalm is talking about this procession of God. As he comes and he dra- he's dragging with him those who are broken, those who are lost, the fatherless, the widow. They are coming behind him in the train. And out before him are the people of Israel, the princes of Judah. The tiny little tribe of Benjamin is the first that's out there. And there are people singing and clapping and singing praises as he proceeds from the place of his enemies to his sanctuary. And he's on the move and he's on the procession and he's moving forward. And even says in here, finally your procession comes to sight. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, like waiting for that parade. And just around the corner, all of a sudden I see you coming. And there's this exaltation, this sing, this, this, this song that comes exploding out of the people. And so what I'd like to see, help you see here is that this is building this imagery of God kind of being on parade. He's parading himself. Which is what God's job is. His job is to parade Himself among the nations. And the imagery in this psalm is conjuring the image of this divine parade. A parade of the Lord Almighty. Like I said, there are chariots, and there's tambourines, and there's singers, and there's musicians. And the, the scriptures say there's even the young ladies, or it uses the word virgins. And so this is, and, and I did some, some research into some of this language. I was always wondering, like, what in the world? Why do we have all these virgins proclaiming the things, and they're walking out in front of the bridegroom, and all that type of stuff? And, and sometimes that word, the word virgin, can be used also for young ladies. And so if you think about young ladies, singing and dancing and jumping up and down. Do we have anywhere in our culture where young ladies in a parade jump up and down and shout? What do we call them? Cheerleaders. Okay, now, not to say that they, you can't use, you know, like they look like cheerleaders, but this is kind of what's going on here. There are the cheerleaders and there are the musicians and there are the, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. Parades have a big deal in many, many cultures, especially in Middle Eastern cultures, Parades have a big deal, they're a big deal in the culture. 
But the parades in ancient cultures, the parades were not like ours. Uh, Why do we do the Macy's Day Parade? Because we're celebrating Thanksgiving. And we're celebrating the strength of... Macy's hosts it. I think we're celebrating the strength of our... I don't know. Commercialism, I guess. We also have parades that celebrate like holidays... We have other parades too, though. We call them protests, right? What are those all about? What are parades of protests all about? You're actually protesting or parading an ideal. People are gathering together under one ideal and they're walking forward saying, this is what we stand on. Because in our culture, in the Western society, everything's very individualistic. In this particular society, things were less individualistic. They were more communal, but also because there was a king, they were also very king-oriented and kingdom-oriented. There were parades all of the time. Most kingdoms that had this, um, that had a patriarchal system, that had a uh, system where there was a king, um, there would be parades of honor for individuals. An individual that the king was very well pleased in, you would throw a big parade for them. We actually see that particular celebration in one place in the scriptures. There's a guy named Haman in the book of Esther, and he wants to be honored by the king. And he's like, the king comes and says, what should I do for a man that I honor greatly? And he says, throw him a big parade. Throw him a big parade and have somebody proclaim how great this guy is. And it turns out to be Haman's enemy. We also see parades. uh, We see parades of a king who has succeeded, right? We have a, well, here we go. We got the notes. We got three parades. We got three types of parades. Parade number one is we have a parade that is honoring of someone. And the whole point of the parade is actually all about the train, okay? It's all about the what's coming behind. And things get bigger and bigger and bigger. We actually see this in our culture a little bit. The Macy's Day Parade, what's the big final act? Santa! Right? That's the big final act. That's the thing that's being honored in Macy's Day Parade is it's ushering in the season of Christmas, right? We have this that type of parade in our culture. This is the type of parade that we see is sometimes in Scripture as we see and in ancient cultures as we see somebody honoring. And what happens is there are people who are celebrating and celebrating and celebrating. gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the final thing comes out and it's like, this is a very big guy. Honor him. This was the one that Haman was hoping for. It turned out to be Mordecai in the book of Esther. The second type of parade that we have, uh, we're just going to signify it with a cult. Second type of parade is a parade of victory. If a warring king went out and he had a war, he had a battle, and he won that war, and actually most of the time, even if he didn't win the war, he'd come back faking like he did, just so you know. That's kind of the way that kings work. But if the king won the war and he won a battle, he would come back and he'd be riding on a colt, which is a younger animal, a younger donkey or a younger or a younger horse, something that was younger, smaller. Okay, And what he would be doing is he would be saying that this actually isn't about me, because he would be the front of the parade. The, what would happen afterwards is I would have all of the spoils of my victory, all of the spoils paraded before you. You see this in Scripture actually a couple of different times. Uh, one of them we see, uh, let's see, uh, one of them we see is um, at, when David, David marches the Ark of the Covenant into the temple or into the, into the city of Jerusalem, right? And who's out front dancing? David is. And he's dancing so much, what happens? His robe flies up and you get to see everything underneath it and all of the ladies are going, hey, look at that. 
right? And then and there's it's a pretty pretty impressive little story. And then his wife actually kind of hates him as a result of that. And there's some stuff that comes out of that. But David's praising God before the entire processional, and then afterwards are these spoils of war leading up to the greatest spoil of them all, which was the Ark of the Covenant coming in. Then the third type of parade you see in ancient cultures, and you see in the Bible as well, is this, uh, we're going to signify this with the horse. Sometimes you saw the king coming out on his horse. And in these these war parades, you'd actually, it's a little bit different, you'd see the king kind of in the middle. And what you'd see is you'd see the uh, you'd see the um, the foot soldiers coming out before the king. You'd see the king in the middle, and then you'd see his entire arsenal of all of the chariots and the big stuff kind of happening afterwards. And so the king would be in the middle, saying, "I am in charge of this entire crew, and I am going to go out." And so they would come out in this entire marching, this entire battle thing, and they would they would march, and and both warring parties would march into the battlefield. And the bigger the procession, the bigger the march what would happen to the other side? They would get a little shaky, right? They'd get a little shaky and they'd be like, oh man, that is a big army coming this way. Can you hear those guys? Can you hear the way that they sound? We see this actually a couple of different times in Scripture. Sometimes you might not think about, like for instance, when Jacob and Esau, two tribes come together, they're marching their entire tribe with each other to a center thing. And Jacob's really terrified of Esau, and all of a sudden he goes, and then they make up. I don't know if you remember that story in the book of Genesis. Um, yeah, the book of Genesis. But there's also, like for instance, uh, the city of Jericho. What do the people do when they go to the city of Jericho? They get in a parade, and what do they do? March around the city for how many days? Seven days. They march around the city. And this is supposed to be God going, okay, you actually don't have any king in your midst, but we're going to march around the city, and then God just knocks the walls down, right? And it's done. So you see these types of parades flowing throughout Scripture, and in this particular psalm, what you are seeing is you're actually seeing all three of them happen at once. That's why it's really hard when you're reading this to see kind of where God is, because there's people out before Him, there's people behind Him, He's dragging stuff in His train, He's got spoils of war, but He's also got chariots, and He's got His He's got his armies that are out there, He's got the tribes going in front. God is intermingling all of these parades in one shot. And what's happening is God is marching while there's young ladies crying out, which is indicative of his successful battle. He's towing the spoils of war as he drags people. What are the spoils of war in his train? The fatherless. The fatherless and the widows. Those who are hurting, those who are left out, that's who God, that's the spoils of God's war. I'm victorious and I have saved these things and I'm bringing them into my temple. That's a beautiful picture. But then God's also scattering His enemies and creating peace in the very next passage, right? So it's war and it's peace. God's healing people in one section and honoring people in the next. It's a very complex parade here. I did not see any ranchers on unicycles, but I'm sure they're in there too. And all along, what's happening is the author is drawing our attention to something completely different. And he actually says it in here, and I'm going to point it out. He's drawing us to our reaction to this to this parade. And he's using things like mountaintops, and he's using places like Bashan, and he's using cities like Cush in Egypt, and he's using the people of Israel, and he's saying, let's, let's look at the reaction to my parade. And so as we look at this, in fact, it even starts off, let's look at verses 1 through 4. May God arise, may his enemies be what? Scattered. 
gone, right? As smoke is blown away from the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice where? Before God. Right before God. May they be happy and may they be joyful. And so, I, there, and there's there's more than that. If you if you go down towards the end of the passage, there are people there are people coming to God. There is Cush and there is Egypt coming to God. There's the mountains of Bashan being scattered. I mean, there's this there's this directional flow that's going on in this passage. And and so what I want what I want to look at, what I want to camp on and talk about just briefly is simply this. When God shows up in your life, when God parades Himself through this world, when God does something, what is your reaction to Him? What is your reaction to Him? And I want you to be really honest and think about this, right? Like, I think there's three reactions. Like, one, we haven't highlighted any here. You can run from it. When God shows up, what do God's enemies do? Yeah, they, well, they, they do, that. at least they should, right? I mean, like, oh my goodness, yeah, right? Like if somebody really big and really strong shows up, somebody that you know has got an army that's bigger than yours, somebody that you know is more powerful than you could ever hope to be or ever hope to imagine, one of the reactions you can have is to run, to tuck tail and just get out of there. Some enemies of God flee from Him. They turn from Him in disgust and run away. They see His power and His goodness and His majesty and the fact that He's controlling all in the universe and He's bringing people into His fold and He's bringing people into worship. And their first gut reaction is, get away. And many live this way. In fact, we often live this way. We see God enter the room. We see Him enter in all His glory and power. We see Him mess up something in our lives really bad. Like, right? Like he shows up and everything goes wonky. Everything goes crazy. Everything falls apart. And one of the first things we do is we look at that situation. We say, get away. We run. Sometimes God comes in and He uses somebody or someone or He uses a message or He uses something in our life to confront sin, right? He shows up He's like, this is something wrong in your life. And sometimes the gut reaction, the first reaction is, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. See, we like, oftentimes some people, and sometimes us, we like God as long as He's distant. But the second He gets nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and He starts crashing into my world, sometimes the gut reaction is, whoa, let me pull back. Let me pull back. Second one is some people, some enemies of God, they don't they don't fl- they don't they don't take the flight aspect of this fear. They take the fight aspect of this fear. And God shows up, and what's the very first thing that we try to do? We stand against him. And try to get in God's face and beat him with whatever we have available, with our minds, with our theology. You ever try to beat God with your theology? I do, sometimes. I'm like, hey God, you're not supposed to act like this according to my books. I've, re- I've, I've read that thousand page manual and I did not expect you to look like that, right? Like, that's what we, we try to beat God with, his, with theology sometimes. Or we try to beat Him with emotion. We're like, God, this is, you don't understand. What are you putting me through, right? We stand against Him. Sometimes we step up and say, God, I got this. Why are you stepping in when I got this? I didn't ask you to do this. I didn't ask you. I didn't invite you. I got this. Stop Stop screwing this up. My plans are better than yours anyways. 
Sometimes we see God or hear God or try, we hear Him try to talk to us about our lives and what we're living for. Sometimes He beckons us into this away from things that steal our faith and destroy our hearts and cause us to have small living and all that stuff. And we argue with Him as though His, His ways are the best ones. We're like, no, I don't, th- I don't think you got that right, God. Like, giving finances? Ah, you haven't seen my bill calendar. Spending time worshiping you? Get up in the morning, pray? <laughs> have, you, have you felt my bed, God? <laughs> Right? Like we argue with him, we stand against him, even in the small things. But then the third reaction, and this is where I think, I hope, I pray that most of you, the reason you're here is maybe because of this. Because the third reaction is the one that's right and is true. And what is that reaction? It's to run to him. You see God come around the corner and the first reaction is, that's where I've got to be. That's where I've got to be. See, there are some enemies of God that when God enters the room, when He steps into our lives, when He steps into their lives and they see His power and goodness and wisdom, they cling, cling to His robe. They cling to His robe. You see this happen as Jesus is walking around, right? There was even people who literally clung to His robe saying, I just need to touch His robe because even in His robe there will be some healing, right? That's that heart of desperation that runs to the Savior and says, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I can't do this on my own because I need you. Some live this way. And I pray that we would live this way, that it would be our heartbeat and our passion, that it would be our life. And we ought to be, that this would be our life, that it would be a way of life for the believer in Jesus Christ, that we would run to Him continually. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having our own parade. It's not about walking and saying, look at how holy I am and how good I'm doing right now. Look at how great things are. It's actually about pointing to the person that's following us, saying, hey, one's coming that is greater than I. You see guys like John the Baptist who step into this parade. That's exactly what he's doing. He's dunking people saying, make straight paths the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Someone's bigger than me is coming. That should be a pattern of our lives. The pattern of our lives. Something bigger is coming and is already here. Something bigger is coming and is already here. I pray that we do just what the psalm is kind of indicating, that when when God comes in, and that verse 3 happens, may the righteous be glad. Be glad that God is here. And rejoice before Him. May we be happy and may we be joy-filled. That's the characteristic, like, that's the fruit of the Spirit just laid out in Psalm 68, right? Like, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what the mark of the believer is as God comes and He gives us Spirit and then that change happens inside of us and we get to be part of the parade of God saying, this is my joy, this is my hope, this is my dream. I finally have had all my dreams fulfilled in Jesus Christ because I once was lost and now I am found. But what happens in my heart and I know happens in yours because I know you're just like me is we say, God, why aren't you fulfilling the dreams of my heart? Why have you left me here? All you've given me is you and I want more than that. 
All I've given, all you've given me is yourself. All you've given me is salvation. Is that all that you have? Because I actually want that and everything else. I want financial security. I want more peace in my life. I want more. 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 And we become this gaping hole of more when actually in the person of Jesus Christ, you have been given everything and so much more. You've been given everything and so, 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 so much more. And so when Jesus enters our lives and He puts us in a place where all of a sudden things are not working out so well, can we understand that like, Jesus, you did this and in that you are showing yourself to me and that is more than I could ever hope or imagine. Or do we go, Jesus, get me out of this. Why did you bring me into this? What is wrong with you? I just heard a great quote this week talking about another psalm and maybe I'll steal this entire sermon, but uh, Psalm 23, right? Like, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in this book I was reading is talking about our nature and how cynical we get and how cynicism settles into our hearts where all we see is the darkness and the cracks and the, the crags and the danger and the mishap and the chaos and all that stuff. But the heart of the worshiper, the heart of the child, just looks at the shepherd and says, lead on. And gets really close to him because it says, I'm scared and this is dark and this is scary. I don't need to look at the darkness harder. I need to cling to the shepherd and be drugged through this even though it's dark. I pray that we, we, when the parade comes, that we don't, like I do to the parades, go, I'm not waiting around for this. I'm not waiting around for this. I pray that we don't sniff at it in contempt. That's what Malachi, or, you know, Malachi, you could call him Malachi, or you could be Italian about it and call him Malachi. You know, he's the, he's the prophet. Um, so, sorry. So, what, what Malachi has to say is, he says, why in the world do you, you look at my table? You look at my table. He says, calls it my table. It's like my table of communion, but it's also the altar of worship. You look at the altar of worship with contempt and you sniff at it. And I would rather you shut the doors than do any of that stuff. That's God talking about his own temple, right? That's why Malachi, he brings it, right? He's like, just shut the door. <laughs> I would pray that we would not do that when the parade comes in, that we wouldn't sniff at it in contempt or run away. That we wouldn't have the heart of going, meh, I've seen a better parade than this. We wouldn't have that heart, but we would run and join and say, give me a tambourine. And for those of you who know me, saying, give me a tambourine, uh uh-uh, not happening. We do tambourine checks at the door before you come in here. It's not happening, right? But we would jump in and say, give me the tambourine, give me the cymbal, give me the harp, give me the lyre, let me dance, let me make a fool of myself. And we would be like David, totally exposed, going, this is my God, I am praising Him. What a better way to understand things like the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I command, and behold, I am with you. Right? Like that's the procession. That's what the Great Commission is. It's get in the parade. All authority has been given to me, and we're going marching out to all the nations. Get on with that. 
What a, ba- what a better way to understand things like missions or giving of our finances or doing a Bible study or coming to prayer meetings or going to worship seminars or coming in and singing songs, right? That's what we're doing, people. When Matt's up here leading worship, it's not going, oh man, his voice is fantastic. And his beard is nicely manicured, right? Like, that's not it. This, the, it is, though. I got him. Yeah, um, good job. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Matt and Kat's one year anniversary today, just so you guys know. Yeah. Yep, folks. Come on, people, it's only one year. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> gotta get past one to go anywhere. But that when we come in here, like, and Matt knows this, this is why I love having him here. He knows this. His job is not about him. His job is to take you and point your eyes vertically and say, this is about Jesus. Stop it. Stop focusing on you. Stop thinking about you. Stop worrying about you. Stop critiquing the music from your perspective. Stop it and look up. Look up. Get on the parade. When when we come to Bible study, right, where Bible studies aren't to, oh man, I just, uh, you know, I just really want to exhaust all of the text to make sure that I can quote it to people word for word. No, it's to be captured by the heart of God to be able to say, man, I saw marvelous things in the Psalms this week and I'm going to tell you and you and you and you and you about it. Or when you give the give of the things that God's entrusted to us, right? Like that's the whole point is it's like it's like throwing out the candy. Right? That's literally what it is. And it doesn't, it's not about giving to this church. It's about, like, I mean, like, uh, we give to a whole bunch of missionaries, right? It's like, hey, we got, I got candy. God gave me candy. I got to throw that out to everybody. Come and get the candy, right? Like, that's kind of the idea of what tithing's all about. And we get that all twisted up, too. This is our activity of running to the king and begging to be part of the worship parade. So, my question to you is simply this. Have you, has your heart been changed in such a way that you want to run to the worship parade? Or, are you like me? Eh, seem better. Where's the Shriners? Just waiting for them. Where's the clowns in the tiny cars? Can't wait for Santa. Right? Like, you know, there is no better parade than the parade of God coming in riding on the clouds. Riding on the clouds with a train of his robe just coming behind and in it are the captives and the widows and the orphans and the refugees and those who've been kicked in the teeth by this world again and again and again and God going victorious. This is what I walked away with and I'm going to put them up in my temple. It's a beautiful thing, right? It's a beautiful thing. May we be part of the parade. May we want to be part of the parade. Let's pray that we would be part of the parade. And then Matt and the worship team are going to come up here and sing. And we get to practice what we just preached. And be part of the parade. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And uh, I admit that, Lord, way too many times when I see you walk around the corner, I'm not sniffing in contempt, but I'm really questioning what you're going to mess up in my life. And I pray that that part of my heart would be laid at your feet and that I would want to run to you with everything, that my friends would want to run to you with everything, saying, I get to be part of the parade. Let us worship. And Lord, we would lay down our lives when we go to work, and we would lay down our stuff um, for people, whether they're people locally who need things that we meet at Walmart or on the street, or whether it's people globally, or whether it's churches or organizations, that we would lay down our stuff and say, Lord, this was your stuff to begin with, and it's not mine. Let me throw it out like a bag of candy. 
That we would have a love of our salvation and love of the grace that you've given us in such a way that we would be throwing it out like candy. That we would be taking this salvation, this message of the good news of who you are and tossing it to everybody that we can possibly see and hear. Lord, that we would also have our hearts so changed that we would be coming in worship, whether it's through Bible study or prayer or coming together as a group of people or whatever, and we would be coming saying, Lord, we are part of this parade. Let us see you. Let us see your glory and your goodness. And I pray that you would do that in our lives and our hearts for your, for your name's sake and for the sake of the nations. Help us to read the Great Commission just like we read it before, that all authority has been given to you and now we get to go with you before you and behind you, proclaiming your goodness and proclaiming your glory to the nations. Lord, we get to start that here and now. Thank you for your love and for your grace to us. We lay down our lives at your feet, asking that you would count us worthy to join in the parade. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.